testimony about what has what God has been doing in my life recently. Um, but yeah, God has shown me that we're all called to serve Him in any way, and that we're all true, true servants of righteousness, doing serving Him and sharing His love and wisdom to people who are lost, unsaved, confused, not sure what to do, and that's how I was when I wasn't. everlasting and it never he never gives up it never gives up on us so to end on the prayer heavenly father thank you for everything that you do and giving us the greatest gift ever abundant life love and joy use us as servant leaders to spread the, your love and joy unto others who are unsaved confused don't have a purpose in life and that you are the answer to everything use us to continue and bring heaven down to earth. In your mighty name I pray, amen. Come and dance, and the mountain. 
unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore. Jesus, our God, unstoppable. singing it because it's, he's an unstoppable God. Just say that to yourself. My God is an unstoppable God. There's nothing too great for him. Come on, say it. My God is an unstoppable God. Amen. Do you believe it this morning? Do you believe it this morning? Come on, with all eyes closed across this place. Come on. God, we believe you're in this place. We believe that you're an unstoppable God. As we continue in worship, God, as we continue in this worship service, may you be glorified. God, may those things that are in our heart, the desires, Father God, or maybe obstacles, things that are stopping us from going to the next level, or just things in our personal life, God, the things that we can't seem to move. God, would you move them now? Holy Spirit, come. Come. You are the unstoppable God. There's nothing too great for you, God. Come on, sometimes you just need to sing that over yourself. You just need to say it so that your ears can hear it. He's an unstoppable God. For Jesus is risen from the dead. For he is risen. Not even death can hold him back.
you glory today. We thank you, oh God, that you don't hide from us. You've allowed us, oh God, to experience this great love that is so sweet, that is so fulfilling, oh God, that nothing in this earth could ever satisfy, could ever compare. And Lord, I ask Jesus that through us you would allow us to shine this love to the world around us. Church, I want us to pray this afternoon for the Puerto Rican Festival Outreach. If you could raise your hands all across this room and come into agreement. You guys know that we've been in prayer. We've been witnessing at Humble Park, and I want to soak that festival in prayer. We did it in the first service, and I want to do it now. I want to pray for every single person that's going to be out there. I want you to pray. I want you to believe that God's going to use you to have a divine appointment, to preach the word, to preach the good news of Jesus on those streets, to see people delivered and set free from their addictions, from pornography, from pornography, from homosexuality, from pain and bitterness and unforgiveness. So if you can lift up your voices right now, come on, pray. Pray for the lost in our city. Jesus, we lift up the Puerto Rican Festival outreach to you right now. I pray that you will blanket it, that you will blanket our city with your glory, oh God. Let your glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I pray for every corner of that park, oh God, that it would be infiltrated with the power of the Holy Ghost, that signs, wonders, and miracles will follow the preaching of the gospel. God, your word says that whatever we find on earth would be bound in heaven, and that whatever we loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven. And right now we bind up the spirit of violence over Chicago in the mighty name of Jesus. We bind up the spirit of homosexuality. We bind up the spirit of the Antichrist over the city. We bind up the spirit of addiction to drugs and alcohol. We bind up the spirit of sexual perversion in Jesus' name. And we lose your righteousness. We lose your salvation. We lose your peace and your joy. Let your kingdom come on earth. Let your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven, oh God. We want to experience it. We want a harvest of souls. Hallelujah. Let's sing the song, How Great Your Love Is For Us, that bridge of that song. And as we sing that again, we declare how great his love is for me. I want us to say how great his love is for us. Hallelujah. Come on, how great is his love for the city of Chicago. How great is his love that, he's, that he died on the cross and shed his blood so we can be saved. Come on, sing it over your city today.
blood of Jesus over Chicago, God. Use us to be a beacon of light. Use us this week as we prepare to keep street witnessing, as we prepare our hearts, oh God, for Saturday, that your gospel would go forth with power because we believe that your word does not return void, oh God. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this moment. We exalt you. We glorify you, King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for this great love. And Lord, we in turn will turn around and we're going to give it to others so that they may know, so that all might hear, so that all might know, Jesus, of your great love and what you came to do for them. In Jesus' name, have your way the rest of the service in our hearts. Speak to us, oh God. We are listening. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this afternoon. Greet your neighbor as you find your seat today. Praise the Lord. We welcome everybody to Metro Praise International. We thank you for joining us for our 1 p.m. service. It's so great to see all of you here. At this time, I'm going to preach the gospel message to you. For those that may not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. And the reason why we take time out of our service to give you a gospel message is so that you will know the truth of Jesus and his word and what he came to do. The gospel means good news, and we have good news that in Jesus, by his blood, we can be forgiven of our sins, saved and sanctified and set free, and we can live in eternity with Jesus forever in heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 through 21, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This message is for those of you this morning who are not living for God. You do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ through being born again of his spirit, repenting of your sin, turning from your ways. This message is for you. And God is waiting for a response. He's waiting for a reply. And many times what happens in life is we put God off and say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, I have to go fix myself first, and then I'll get right with God. We're not promised tomorrow, friends. Today is a day for you to get right with Jesus. Today is a day for you to receive this free gift of salvation, to allow the blood of Jesus to wash you clean. Be reconciled to God. When a preacher preaches this message, we are Christ's ambassadors to you. He's making his appeal to you through us. Be reconciled back to him, to your creator, to your heavenly father. And that through that, when you do that, you will receive the righteousness of God. So with all eyes closed all across this room, if that is your desire today, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're sick and tired of doing it your way. You know you have not been doing it right. It's time to lift your eyes, to look to Jesus, your creator, and say, I give up. I surrender. I'm going to do it your way now. Forgive me of my sins. As I begin to pray, I want you to come into agreement and speak to the Lord and say, I want to get right with you. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment. There are many in eternity in hell right now that wished, that are wishing, that are pleading for this one moment that they had to turn their life to you. I pray that this moment will not pass us by, 
without getting right with you, God. We want reconciliation. And I pray for every single person in this room who's not right with you, they've never been born again, that today would be their spiritual birthday, that today they would surrender and give their life to you, turn from their wicked ways, that they would repent so that you could heal them and forgive them and set them free. We thank you for your loving kindness, oh God, that draws us to repentance. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Please stand up to your feet with me. If you prayed that prayer, you mean business with God. We're going to have prayer workers up here in just a moment. During the fellowship time, you could come to them and receive prayer, encouragement to live for God, and find out how you can get plugged into the church and be discipled. We have leaders that are ready to walk through this journey with you. You're not alone. At this time, we're going to confess our confession of faith together. This is our Christian worldview. That's why we do it every week. We want to declare it. We want to proclaim it. This is a lens in which we see society around us. You guys with me? Let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. In the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Clap it up for Jesus one more time. Spend some time fellowshipping. Meet somebody you don't know. Give them a handshake and a hug.
Who's excited to be at church today? Come on, make some noise. Welcome everybody to Metro Praise International. We're so excited to have all of you here, especially for our first-time visitors. Welcome. On behalf of all the pastors and the leaders, keep on coming back. Invite your friends and family. Here at MPI, we have two services. One is at 10 a.m. and the other one is at 1 p.m. on Sundays. This is our family service, so we have King's Kids available for our children in the back, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. every week for students 11 to 18 years old. God's doing awesome things in the lives of our youth. If you know anybody in that age group, this is the place for them to be on Friday night. So I invite them to come on by. Who's, who's ready for the Puerto Rican Festival Outreach? Come on. It is finally here. We're going to be meeting Saturday, June 18th, this coming week at 9 a.m. in the morning. So come on out. Get ready to be poured into we're going to do some training, have a little bite to eat, and we're going to hit the streets at Humble Park, and we're going to have a glorious time in the Lord, on the streets, preaching the gospel to the lost, and seeing souls saved. How are you guys excited to do that? Come on. I think you guys can do a little bit better than that. How many of you guys excited to see people saved, set free, delivered? Come on. And then the next day, immediately following that, the next Sunday, is going to be our Baptisms and Father's Day Steak Dinner. So June 19th, both 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. services, we're going to be baptizing people. If you are interested in doing that, you've never been baptized, please speak to your life group leader or your 101-er. Let them know that you're going to be baptized this coming Sunday so we know who's going to be doing it. And if you have a father in your life, you want them to be here, okay? Invite them. Have them come on. Every father will get a steak with uh, all the sides to go with that, and then all the rest of us will be eating hot dogs. So come and enjoy it. We're going to be outside doing the, bar, the, the grilling and doing the baptisms. It's going to be a ton of fun. Who's also excited about our MPI summer retreat? I know I went through it last week. We're so pumped. Get ready to get away from the city for a little bit, get some fresh air. It's going to be next month, July 15 and 16. That's a Friday and Saturday. So start requesting those days off of work at your job and just believe the Lord to provide because it's such a fun time. It's $50 per person if you want to share a room. And then it's $150 per family or per couple if you want your own room. This only covers lodging and some miscellaneous things like the parking permits. Food is done on your own, however you want to do with your family this year. So for breakfast, lunch, dinner, for both days, you could get a bite to eat before you come into the park, get a picnic basket, bring it on in. So this price covers our lodging. So we want you guys to be registering now until July 3rd. So after today, we have three more Sundays. So after July 3rd, registration will be closed. So we're going to keep pushing you guys to register. You could go to the website mpichurch.org, find the eventzilla page for the retreat, register there, get your room, pay your money, um, or you could go to the Facebook event page, that also has the eventzilla leak, or you can register here with us on Sunday. You guys ready to do that? Come on. MPI has a vision, a strategy, a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people. Look to your neighbor, say loving God. Look to your other neighbor, say loving people. And then we want our strategies to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you through life groups. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Say, come on, Jesus. He can do it. It's time to get connected. Look, so you could turn your hand out around and see the schedule of this quarter for our life groups. Find a place to belong with your family. Get connected. Here's a snapshot of what's happening this week. Today, we're kicking it off with our marriage life group. 
Childcare is provided. We're going to be meeting here at the church at 5 p.m. So for all of our married folk, you don't want to miss it today. We're going to be having a scavenger hunt at Portage Park. So Ricky and Rachel, is Ricky in the building? He's somewhere. They are. They put a lot of work into this, so we want to come on out, come have fun, fellowship. It's so refreshing. Wednesday, we have the Righteously Redeemed Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m., meeting at that address. Wednesday, our King's Kids, infant to fifth grade, 6.30 here at the church. We have that every week for our girls and boys. Thursday is our gang outreach, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. That's on a weekly basis. We have people hitting the streets, preaching the gospel to the gangbangers at night. God's moving, guys. If you want to be a part of that, please uh, ask one of the leaders here. We'll let you know what you have to do and who to talk to. But that's the address. You just want to show up. It's powerful. And we have two adult Bible studies, one at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Vivid's house, 7 p.m., Every week uh, for the Bible study there, 18 years and up. This week is a special week, though. This Friday, both adult Bible studies are coming together. We're meeting here. I'm sure your leaders have told you. And we're going to Humble Park a day early. How many of you guys excited about that? So we're going to go. We're just going to street witness one-on-one with the life groups to prep for Saturday. So Saturday is going to be the big bang. We're going to have the children's tent, the food tent. Um, the prayer tent and all this stuff in the street witnessing. But Friday night this week, if you're planning on going to life groups, meet here and we'll go together to Humble Park. So if you, if you want to get ready for Saturday, you want to make Friday a priority, all right? So let's do it. Look to your neighbors, say, get mentored. We want to mentor you through our 101 and 201 books. The 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life. This is done one-on-one with a leader who will encourage your walk with God and really be there for you. When you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples. This is a class where we train you to be a a leader in the church that one day you could be ordained to be a deacon or an elder. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. Every Saturday from 5 to 8, we're doing evangelism on the streets, different neighborhoods, different street corners. This is your training ground. If you want to be a Marine for Jesus, meet them here. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. The Bible says, he who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed and he who wins souls is wise so we are in the business of winning souls and making disciples this is where you want to be to learn all that because if practice makes perfect if you're scared to do it once just do it god will use you allow the holy spirit to use your words to minister to somebody else and you'll never you won't regret it it's such a powerful thing so join them on saturdays so in recap mpi has a vision a strategy and a goal a vision of loving god and loving people a strategy to connect you to mentor you to send you out and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches here and 500 around the world. Let me get a hallelujah. Come on. Who's excited to give their tithes and offerings today? Not many of you. Thank you, Jerry. Praise the Lord. Who's excited? Come on. This is an honor. This is a privilege. We get to co-labor with the Lord on this earth to further his kingdom. MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. We believe that scripture teaches this. An offering is an amount that you give after your tithe. That is an amount between you and the Lord that you have to be sensitive to hear what he is saying for you to give, which we designate towards missions and towards building funds throughout the year. So let's get into our Disciples Giving book lesson for today. We are on section 2, lesson 10. Offerings require obedience. The offering is a gift to God after our tithes. We're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 9.13. You can go to givingbook.org if you want to follow along on your phones or look up at the screen. 2 Corinthians 9.13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience 
that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Here are three main points we could pull from this passage of scripture. Number one, number one prove yourselves. Just like how faith without actions is dead, the same is true with love and generosity if it doesn't result in giving. We prove our faithfulness to God by giving generous offerings. So when we're, n we're, we're believing God, we're thankful, we're love, you know, we love that you're being generous to us. If we're not giving back, then it's not proving our thankfulness for his generosity to our lives. Our thanksgiving unto God will not result in greed and stinginess and all that other bad stuff. It's going to result in a life of thanksgiving and giving back because God has blessed us so much. Number two, obedience to God. When God speaks to you, to your heart concerning giving offerings, you are required to be obedient to his will just as you are obedient to his other commands. So we can't pick and choose what we're going to be obedient to. we got to obey all of God's commands, the fullness of the gospel, and our finances. If we can't trust God in our finances and be in obedience to what he's telling us to give with our monies, then we can't be right with God because then we're saying, we don't trust you, God, I'm holding this back. And then greed sets in. And number three, sharing with others. Just like how we teach our children that sharing is caring. How many parents have said that? Sharing is caring. We are reminded by Paul that if we truly confess Jesus as Lord and love the gospel, we should share our finances with others in giving offerings. By doing so, our gifts will result in much praise to God. And that's all for the glory of God. It's not for our glory. It's not for our fame. It's all for the glory of Jesus. And here's the summary. Don't just be a hearer of God's word. Be a doer. Be obedient to give what God asks you to give. There's nobody banging this microphone over your head saying, you got to give today, you got to give today. It's between you and the Lord. Your faithfulness, your obedience to God is what's going to count in the end. Here are three ways we could apply this to our life. Number one, be a faithful tither. Number two, prove your faith by your actions. If you really believe you're blessed to be a blessing, act like it when it comes to giving offerings. And number three, live a life of obedience to all of God's commands. Say all of God's commands. Amen. Let's confess this over our life together on the count of three. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Please stand up to your feet with me today as we prepare to give the Lord our best. Our tithes and our offering. Again, a tithe is 10% of our total income. An offering is anything above that, which you can designate towards missions and buildings. On the envelope, you can see the different categories. Please be specific with the amount that you want to go towards each area. Here are four ways you could give at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry for that today. And number four, you could go online and use Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. Here's an update for our soul winning summer. How many of you guys are excited about what God's going to do and has been doing so far? So we want to encourage you guys. This is our building fund for the rest of the year. We're going to pray to partner to give. If you haven't done so already, 
do so. Pray, ask the Holy Spirit what he wants you to give. We're going to be changing Chicago and the world one soul at a time. So, so far since May, we've raised $2,457. We're going to keep on going. All those dates there that you see are our outreaches for the summer, believing God to bring in a harvest of souls, and God is doing it through your generosity and cheerful hearts. We're going to do it. We're going to win Chicago. Amen. It's a soul-winning summer. Come on. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4:19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your blessing in our life. We thank you for your provision. And we thank you that you have shown us by example what it means to give and to give sacrificially. I pray that our heart's desire would always be to be obedient to all of your commands that we would trust you in every area, especially the area of our finances, that we will not hold back, that we would allow your blessings to continue to flow in us and through us so that we could be blessed to be a blessing. I ask, O oh Lord, that you bless the gift and the giver this morning. Multiply it to further your kingdom on this earth. And we thank you that we have the honor and the privilege to co-labor with you on this earth to see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give. And we thank you so much for your generosity. All right, how many are ready to learn about families today? Make some noise. Come on, come on. Let me get some love, some love. Booyah. Got some wet, uh, married couples, man. I did a wedding yesterday. Got some new couples in the house, some old couples in the house. Let's give it up for Professor Daryl Bryan and his lovely wife here today. Good to have you here, sir. Brian, why don't you come on up here? Professor Brian Daryl, if I said it wrong, I, I think I did I say it right or wrong? I always get you, I always call you Daryl, but it's Brian Daryl. Come on up here, guys. Can we get the party lights going? Uh, thank you. Why am I up here? Just curious. You put me on the spot, huh? <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm supposed to say something deep and profound when you put on the spot like this, and all I can say is go Cubs. More importantly, go Jesus, obviously, but, but, but that's a little bit more important, but, you know, go Cubs. I watched they lost to Atlanta Friday night and just kind of went, 
but uh, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. God is good. I'm glad he's moving here. We've got, we got the Puerto Rican outreach coming up. Praising God. I'll keep you guys in prayer for that. Hope it goes, goes well. The Holy Spirit moves. That's what we want. I am a church history guy. Yes. Um, I am, uh, I'm stuck in the middle of summer school right now. I'm a student as well as a professor, so I'm learning the German language. Crash course. Uh, final exam is this Thursday. Started last week. Final exam is this Thursday. So it's just kind of uh, getting to bed at midnight every night. Alarm's going off at 6, you know, and it's one of those, do I say good morning, Lord, or do I say something else, you know, you know. Uh, but God's been good. He's been faithful. And uh, my, my language skills aren't as good as they were 20 years ago. Uh, I notice as I'm getting older, the brain's not functioning like it should be. So it's like, Jesus, I need you. I really, really need you. But, um, man, church history, you just put me on the spot. I'm not thinking of anything right now, really. Uh, we translated a little bit of uh, Martin Luther's classic hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And we had three columns. So we've got the German in one column. And then we've got our English translation in the middle column, and then we have what we have in our old church hymnals. And what Luther's writing and what's in our English hymnals are not not totally there. They're there in a lot of respects, but there's a few respects he's going, hmm, oh, that's fascinating. So, Well, Lord bless you, you guys. Always good to be here. I was kind of juggling my schedule. I wanted to come down in May. I didn't have time. I live up in Wisconsin. And I'm like, it's either this weekend or next weekend. want to come down and see everybody and just... Praising God with your game here. You know, the outreach is great. Talking to Brother Stephen about the gang outreach and what the Lord's doing there, you know, on Thursday nights. It's awesome. Your small groups are going good. Discipleship's going great. Getting mentored and growing and digging into the word. That's what it's all about, and that's what you're bringing to us right now. Bring us the word. Hey, more SUM students, I'll take them. I will take them. I will take them. <laughs> Amen. Let's give it up for Professor Brian Darrell. From Wisconsin, SUM professor of the Bible College, um, one of the many ones that we have. Okay, so we are in a sermon series called Spiritual Disciplines. Today we're going to be talking about family order. So open up your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're a visitor, we're going to catch you guys all up. You're going to enjoy it today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for helping us get over the summer slump. Sometimes people don't like to go to church in the summer. They like to go enjoy God's creation. But don't be rebellious. Don't be a rebel and say, God, I'm going to put your creation before you. No, come and honor God and then enjoy his creation because his creation won't go anywhere. The lake's still going to be there. And as you can notice, this gringo is not missing any sun. I'm getting a lot of sun. I'm going to my Latinos and Latinas, and I'm going, I'm catching up, I'm catching up. And, you know, but the, the gente, they don't want the sun. You know, like, oh, I don't like the sun. I get too dark. And I'm like, no, never too dark for me. I want to be so dark. I'm like half Italian and Polish, and it's all Italian for me, man. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. We're in a spiritual discipline sermon series. It's about learning to live for Jesus, obey his commands, even when you don't feel like doing it, okay? Let's look to Paul here. Chapter 9, verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. How many people here want to be winners? And how many people don't want to be losers? How many people want to be winners? This is not a gang sign, by the way, gang ministry, so don't get mad at me. Winners, and then I don't want to be a what? 
a loser. I don't want to be a loser. I want to win. I want to win in life. I want to win in Christianity. Amen? Now, I love that God loves losers in the sense of being sinners. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not finishing the race in front of you. Paul said, don't be a loser. Be a winner. Everybody here can win the prize. And here's the thing. You're not racing against me, and I'm not racing against you. You are racing against the world's temptation and the devil's lies, and you can win. Everybody say, I'm a winner. Somebody say, I'm more than a conqueror. Amen. Look at verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. How many want a crown when they get to heaven? You see, listen to me. I would serve God even if he said up in heaven there's going to be green beans, mushrooms, and, uh, you know, broccoli. Okay, I'm up. I'm going there. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hell. I'm going up to heaven. Amen. But he said this to us, that you can receive a crown in heaven. Well, if there's a crown up there, I want to get that crown. And Paul uses the example of the games that they had in the Roman society, whether it's the gladiator games or the Olympic games from the Greeks. These people went into strict training. We know this now in professional sports. And here's what we get the understanding of spiritual discipline. If they go into training to hit that wooden ball, uh, hit that ball with a wooden bat, or to kick a rubber ball into a net, if they go into training to do that, how much more should we go into strict training to get our crown in heaven? Come on, somebody say spiritual disciplines. You have to hear what Jesus said as well. He said the flesh is wi- uh, the, f- the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. When he was up there praying on the Mount of Gethsemane, drops of blood were coming from Jesus. He was in a time of such heavy stress that he dropped dro- uh, he sweat drops of blood. They say in medical science it is possible to have blood come from your pores and stress. And he goes to his disciples and he sees they're not praying. They're what? <laughs> They're sleeping, and he tells them. He says, guys, you better watch and pray. And then he says, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. All these things that we're going to be talking about in this sermon series under spiritual discipline. Last week was Bible reading. Today we're talking about family order. Then scripture memorization, soul journaling, praying and worshiping, discipleship and Christ-likeness, Christian service, public evangelism, spiritual meditation, financial stewardship, Christian fellowship, and church involvement. Your flesh will not want to do. Your flesh probably fought you this morning or this afternoon coming to church. Well, I can go to this barbecue. I can go to the lake. Oh, I can sleep in or I can do my laundry or I can do this and that. You've got to tell your flesh you're serving Jesus. And you've got to tell your flesh. How many of you try to lose weight and get on a diet and do right things? You've got to tell your flesh, you ain't getting no more out of cheddar. You are not getting any more elotes. Leave the elote man alone. Leave him alone. But I will tell you right now, I will tell you right now, I am like this close, this close, this close. How close? This close to making 60-second videos on Facebook called the Gringo Latino because I am tearing it up this summer. Y'all don't even know how I get down. Y'all don't even know about me. So just a couple days ago, right, just a couple days ago, I was eating watermelon, and I'm like, no, no, no. This is not good just the way it is. So what did I do? I went and got some lemon juice, put some lemon on that, and then I put some chile pepper. I literally want to make a 60-second video on Facebook to show people how to do this. This is so cool. And then the other day, corn on the cob. See, I come from Indiana. Corn on the cob. Just eat that corn on the cob with the little things on the end. You know what I'm talking about? Just twerking it like that. What did I do? All of a sudden, I'm eating, and I'm like, no, 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 no. This can be done so much better. I put it in a bowl. Start shaving off the sides of it. Come on. I bring the mayonnaise. I bring the butter. Hello. Then I put the chile. Now watch. I ain't got that Mexican cheese, but this is 
what I got. I got Parmesan cheese. I'm telling you, the gringo Latino. Booyah! But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You've got to know, you've got to know when to say when. you got to say, man, I can't do this. My kids love to go to Dairy Queen. They want to go like every single day. And I'll be honest with you, I want to go with them every single day to Dairy Queen. But you know what i got to get when I go there? Not the medium, not the small. What do I get? The mini, the little mini. I get the little kids portion. And you know what another trick is? Eat with little silverware. So I used to eat with these big spoons. I've lost 60 pounds over the last year, by the way. If You know, people like to eat with big spoons, big forks. I'll do that. Now, literally, I will use my children's spoons, these little spoons, because it just helps you enjoy it a little bit more. What does that have to do with what I'm preaching? Really nothing. But I will make a connection. I will make the connection. The connection is, is that we have to go into strict training. We've got to train ourselves. And you've got to know what God's asking you to do and to do it to win the crown. Can I get an Amen. Amen. Now look at verse 26. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. You see, imagine if you were supporting Manny Pacquiao in a fight, and he's there fighting somebody, and he runs away from the guy and starts fighting towards the air. You would say, man, this is crazy. That's not the one I want to win. And that's what a lot of us are doing against the devil. We have no idea how to read our Bible, no idea how to pray. We're just running around every now and then getting a Bible verse from Facebook or something, and we're trying to beat the devil, but we're beating the air. We're not winning. Christians need to grow up before God throws up. We need to be the kind of disciples Jesus came to make. We need to be trained to how to do, learn how to do that. Now look at verse 27. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. Somebody say, my slave. Thank you. So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So you make your body your slave. You say, body, you're getting up and going to church with me this morning. Body, you're going to go exercise. Body, you're going to pray. Do you think I always feel like praying? I don't always feel like praying. Your flesh will come up with 101 reasons not to pray, not to read your Bible, not to do these things, and to have all these distractions of the world. But you've got to stand up against your body and let your spirit be your master. The Holy Spirit through your spirit is your master and your body is your slave. How well can I get an amen on that? you got to tell your body that this body belongs to your husband or your wife, right? You're not going to let your body run your life, your hormones, your pheromones, all those different things. You see, I already can tell you right now, I've been married for 11 years, and there's probably not a day that doesn't go by that I don't have to fight the temptation of lusting after other women that I see or in pornography towards the Internet. But I haven't looked at pornography in almost 20 years, and I have never cheated on my wife. Why? Because this body belongs to somebody, and that's my wife, and I make this body my slave for that somebody. I say, you're staying home. You're looking the other way. No bonita senorita is going to get me to go to hell. Hey, man, I'm going to make a choice to serve God. And you may say, well, that comes easy for pastors. Man, you don't know pastors like I do. I've already had another one commit an affair. You see, we get the mic. Y'all look up at us. We start doing counseling. We can get it up in our mind. My flesh will feel better if I hang out with this girl or do this thing with this person. And the devil is a liar. You cannot follow your flesh. You must beat it and make it your slave. Now, when it says beat your body, that's not talking about what the Roman Catholics used to do, whipping themselves, crucifying themselves. There's actually a tradition in the Philippines where they will pick a dude and crucify him on Easter weekend. No, that's not what it's talking about. When you're striking a blow to your body, what you're doing is depriving your body of the things that it craves. That's how you strike a blow to it. The Bible says if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
If your eyes cause you to sin, pluck them out. Now, wouldn't that be crazy if we all came in here, amputees, missing eyes, going, I love Jesus. He's so awesome. I'm showing that I'm going to do whatever it takes, you know. No, that's, that's not exactly what it means. It's a metaphor for if this computer causes you to sin, put some pornography blocking software on it and only use it in front of people. Hello, don't do it by yourself. Do it in the public with your kids around or people only do it in, in a public place. If the music you're listening to causes you to sin, cut off Miley Cyrus. Cut off Jennifer Lopez. If your movies cause you to sin, cut off those movies. Do whatever it takes to strike a blow to your body and make it your slave. And I could already see this in my four-year-old right now. I got my son, Lucas. He's four years old. He started to figure it out because we do devotions every night. He came into the room one day, and he's like, Dad, I'm so tired. Can we just go to bed? And you know what I wanted to tell him? Yeah, I'm tired too. Let's go to bed. But I said, no, son, we're going to tell our bodies what to do. We're going to make our bodies strong for Jesus, and we're going to pray and read our Bible before we go to bed. How many can I hear an amen for that? Isn't that what we should be doing with our families, putting God first? Now, think about this. We're in our spiritual discipline sermon series. This was... Um, uh, I launched this out of our spiritual growth series. And so what we do when we want to do spiritual disciplines, we've got to start with our faith. We've got to know some things before we can show some things. And spiritual disciplines are the showing, and they bring a result, a growing. So the more I know God, I want to show my love for God, then I will grow in the character of God. Think about it in a relationship. The more I know my wife, the more I will want to show my love for my wife, and then I will grow in my love for my wife. The more my kids know me, they will want to show that they love me by obeying me, and then they will grow in their maturity. Can I hear an amen to that? So let's see if you got your faith right. Let's see if you believe the right things. If you believe these things, say amen. How many believe Jesus is your God and Savior? Amen. How many of you believe you share in God's divine nature? You're born again. If not, you're going to hell. So how many of you have been born again in the divine nature? Amen. And how many of you believe you can do all that God commanded you to do? He didn't ask you to do something you can't do, right? All these commands are things you can do. Now are you willing to show it? These are your spiritual disciplines, and now you will grow. See, goodness doesn't fall off the goodness tree. Knowledge doesn't fall off the knowledge tree. Self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love come from Peter's list. And then the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And you join those two lists together, Peter's list and Paul's list, of what Christ's characters look like. These things on the growing side don't fall off trees. You want to grow in that? You better show that. You better say you know God and you show that you know God. Because the Bible says in Titus, somebody turn with Titus to me right now. Turn there, please, por favor. Titus chapter 1, I believe... Verse 16, look at it if you can't get there because i got a lot of stuff to go through. They claim to know who? God, but by their actions they deny him. They are what? Cute and cuddly. They're my friends. They're just nice. God would never send them to hell. Is that what it says? They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So that's why you got to grow up before Jesus throws up. That's that scripture I've showed you guys many times, and I want you to see it again. Revelation chapter 3. Everybody go, ooh. Come on, the end of the book, Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. Look at what it says. God will throw up some fake Christians out of his mouth. He will spit them up on the day of judgment. Look at it right here. Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Y'all just don't want to say that, do you? Y'all don't want to read the Bible today, do you? 
You want me to read Cat in the Hat? How about I read the Bible that's going to make some eternal difference, okay? Let's look at it in another version. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 16 in the New Living Translation, which makes it a little more modern for us. Look at this. I wish that you were one or the other, but because you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So do you have a choice? Yes, you can go to heaven or you can go to hell. You can grow up in your Christianity or you can be a hypocrite. Because I'm assuming most of you here already say you know God, right? Nobody's saying, man, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. Most of the people that come to this church, now I love atheists. I talk to them all the time. But most of you here are going to say, I believe in God. Yeah, I know him. I've heard about him. I know Jesus. I mean, that's my God. I'm cool with him. You know, but hold on. By your actions, you're denying him. And you're detestable. You're disobedient. You're unfit for any good thing. Does anybody want to see what unfit for any good thing looks like in a modern translation? Come on, somebody say, show me. Look at this in a modern translation. Unfit for any good thing. They are detestable, disobedient. Here's unfit for any good thing in another translation. Worthless. Worthless. You see, today, your value comes from Jesus. You don't want to do it Jesus' way. You're worthless for anything good. God is not sending the people, people to hell that he's going to feel sorry for. He sends rebellious, naughty, prideful, stubborn people who don't want to do his things. He sends them to hell. And guess what? They get exactly what they want in existence without God. On this earth, they say, we don't want to do it God's way. On this earth, they say, I don't want to be good. I don't want to grow in the knowledge of God. I'd rather go, grow in the knowledge of guys who hit, uh, guys wear tights and hit a ball with a bat. You know, I'd rather grow in that knowledge. No self-control, do whatever feels good. No perseverance, I'll quit and stop whenever I want to. No godliness, no godliness, but Lady Gaga-ness. I'll act like Lady Gaga, not, not God. No mutual affection, I'll do unto others as they do unto me instead of the other way. No love, no joy, no peace. You see, those people, those people, Jesus says, are worthless. Do you want to be worthless or do you want to win? Do you want to be a loser or a winner? What do you want to be? A winner. And so that means you want to claim to know God and you want to show that you know God. Bethany, Hannah, Lucas, and Zoe are my four kids. You say you know me. You say I'm your dad. You say you love me. Show me. Show me by cleaning your room. Show me by obeying your mom. Show me those things. And guess what? In their obedience of showing those things, they will grow in those things that they desire so badly, the characteristics of God. And so I want you to see this again in another way in review. New birth plus spiritual growth and renewal and transformation equals reflecting the image of Christ. All these notes are online. You can always review them. So see it in this way. We're born again in Christ sanctified and made like Christ. Somebody say born again. Now, if you're not born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. John 3, 3. How many believe that? Okay, so I don't need to review that. Spiritual growth is that knowing, showing, and growing. That's what you do after you're born again. I don't try to become born again by doing good works. Because I'm born again, now I can do good works. Do you guys see the difference? Some religions teach you do good works, and maybe when you get up to heaven, you'll be saved. You'll be taken care of. And a lot of times people think that way, even in Christianity. You know, I kind of believe in God, and I think when I get up there, I'll work out whatever problems we have. No, you're born again instantly. Christianity is an instantaneous transformation given by the Holy Spirit. It's called new birth. Because then you're a new, Christian, a new creation, a Christian, you can live like Christ. You can live like Christ. I can never do one good work unless I was first born again. Turn with me quickly or just look up at the screen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Look at it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For, let me just go up to verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. How have you been saved? By good works? By going to church all the time? By being a goody-two-shoe? 
No, for by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. This is not from yourselves. It's what? The gift of God. How do you get faith to believe in God? It's a gift, right? Now watch this. Look at this right here. Not by works so that no one can boast. If getting to heaven was based upon me praying five times towards Mecca like the Muslims teach, couldn't I boast when I go to heaven? I can boast. I've done it. I did what you told me to do. You told me to pray five times a day. I did it. I fasted during Ramadan. Right now they're fasting from uh, sunset to sun, it's sunset, you know. So when the sun goes down, the sun rises, sunset rather. And so they're fasting 40 days. You could say you earned something. On the day of judgment, a Muslim believes that their works will be put on the scales. Good works on this side, bad works on that side. See, a lot of Christians think that way. That is not Christianity. That is a false religion. Hinduism teaches the same thing. Through the karmic cycle of death and rebirth, death and rebirth, death and rebirth, you will become one with your creator. You will change. You will do better. That's why in the karmic cycle, those children who are born sick and diseased, it's their fault from their previous life. Karma is not something cute and cuddly that celebrities talk about. Karma is a, is a demonic belief that teaches you suffer in this world because of what you did in the past life. If you don't believe me, talk to a real Hindu, not somebody leading your yoga class. But Christianity is not by work. Same thing with Father Tom. Father Tom wants to tell you, confess this, do this, do all your sacraments, do all this. My friends, that's not how you're saved. Salvation is not by works. I did not become a Christian because I did X, Y, and Z. I did not become a Christian because I did the spiritual disciplines. I became a Christian by faith. By knowing Jesus, hello, by believing that Jesus transformed me and gave me a new nature. I was born first naughty by nature, and then I was born again in divine nature. Come on. And now I can do God's commands. You get the difference? And so spiritual growth is knowing, showing, and growing after you've been born again. For we are God's what? Handiwork. Or another translation says here, for we are God's what? masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Can I do the works of God before I'm made anew? No, because if I don't get made new in Christ, all I'll have is a bunch of do-do. I do this and I do that and I do this, but you know what? It's doo-doo. It smells like doo-doo in the sight of God. God says, your righteousness, your good works are like filthy rags in my sight. So how do we get to do good things? We first get made new. And then you get to do those things that God created you for. So look at it. New birth, made like Christ, spiritual growth, growing like Christ, renewal and transformation, your thoughts and behavior changing. How many want to get rid of stinking thinking? And how many want to act like Jesus? Be like Jesus? Well, that is an after effect of a new birth and spiritual growth. Growth happens naturally when you intentionally know, show, and grow. The result of the apple tree and its fruit comes natural after the intention has been done by the farmer to till the ground, plant the seed, and protect it. I don't have to worry about every day going through cognitive therapy or behavior modification to break addictions and change thoughts. I just intentionally set my faith on Christ, obey his commands by knowing, showing, and growing, and then naturally I will bear the fruit of the Spirit, a transformed life and a transformed mind. Think about that. God grows in me his fruit. I am engrafted into the vine. John 15 says, he is the vine, I am the branches, and I bear much fruit. Why? Because I'm in the source. I'm in the life. Amen? Come on. Now look at your neighbor and say, that's the first introduction. I've got two more introductions to go to before I can really give this to you, okay? Now, what we want to talk today is about family. Everybody say family. 
So spiritual disciplines, we're going through them all summer long. We got 12 to go through. We're on number two, okay? Now we're going to talk about family. Today, the greatest display of God's love and nature can be seen in a happy and healthy family. How many believe that? Family equals the nature of God. You're going to see that later. Watch. Since the devil knows this, what does he do? He tries to destroy the family and bring death instead of life and hurt and pain instead of joy and healing. How many of you can attest? No hands raised, no embarrassment, but how many of you can attest? Some of the greatest pain you've ever felt has come from the context of family. Abandonment from mother and father, abuse from brother or sister. Hello. The greatest pain you will ever face will come from supposed family. Why? Because in the family, you're supposed to have healing. In the family, you're supposed to have joy. You know an enemy's an enemy, but your family's not supposed to be your enemy. And that's what psychologically destroys people's lives more than anything else. You find people in gangs today, generally they come from a broken family. You find people in drugs and addictions, broken families. When the family is broken, the mind and the heart is broken. Now, can we be healed? And is God a God of restoration? Yes, we'll talk about divorce. We'll talk about single moms. We'll talk about all of those things today. But let's be honest. If you were the devil and you wanted to destroy Christianity, where would you start? The family. And then in the family, where would you start? The marriage. And then in the marriage, who would you start with? The father, the husband, the man. Presently in America, over 40% of first-time marriages end in divorce, 60% on the second marriage, 73% on the third marriage. Why? Because stupid is as stupid does. If you don't change, you bring yourself everywhere you go. Well, I'm leaving you, and I'm leaving this house, and I'm going to start over again with myself and all of my problems. And that's why second marriages fail more than first marriages, and third marriages fail more than second and first marriages because we don't learn. We don't learn. Many of the divorces involve adultery, sexual sin. Roughly one out of ten marriages are currently suffering from infidelity. Over Those over 60 and those under 35 on average commit more adultery than ever before. Think about this. Older couples, 60 and over, around 30% are less satisfied with their marriage than ever before. And those under 35 or 20% 20, 20 of them are now not even trying to stop adultery, maybe open marriage, things like that. So listen to me. Even this older generation, they got their Viagra. They're realizing I can live a little bit longer. I'm a little healthier now. We used to die at 50. Now I can live to 80. Those over 60 have, are having some of the highest divorce rates. Oftentimes, these marriages end in power struggles, selfishness, deep emotional hurt for both people involved. Sadly, the children are the ones that are hurt the most. They needlessly suffer as they watch their mom and dad destroy the family they built together and try to start two new lives, two new lives where there used to be only one. And now today, more children are being born in families without husbands and wives, moms and dads, illegitimately as what we would call than ever before. And it's more now than marriages. So that's why people are giving up on marriage. They're like, man, if I got a 40% chance of not even making it through this, why even try? Let's just live together. And that's the situation we find ourselves in. For this reason, God said in Malachi 2.16, the man who hates and divorces his wife does violence to the one he should protect. So the person who divorces, God says, you're actually hurting your family. You're not helping it. So God hates divorce. Throughout the years of my ministry, I've been in ministry almost 20 years. I've never seen a divorce in emotionally well. It crushes the people involved, harms the children. Though each divorce has its unique arrangements, most of the time the mother is awar awarded the primary custody of the children, and the father has only a limited role in the children's lives. And now we're finding out fatherless homes result in problems with our children. How many believe that? 
I'm not putting anybody down. Single moms are my heroes. I love them. Many times it's not their fault. We're getting into some of that. But let's just be honest. Fatherless homes are many times broken homes. And let me also say this. Abortion doesn't fix anything. Two wrongs don't make a right. You don't murder the innocent one. Amen? And I'm not saying murder the jerk father, but I'm saying let the child be born and have a chance at life. Don't murder the innocent one. Okay? If you got a problem with that man, don't sleep with them. Okay? But let's never result to murder, okay? Studies now show that the damaging results of fatherless homes have on children. Here we go. Girls who grow up without a father are more likely to get pregnant before marriage, struggle with low self-worth, and have more financial trouble in life. Similarly, boys who grow up without their father are more likely to get a girl pregnant before marriage, nine times more likely to get arrested and do jail time. Both genders will have a much harder time getting good grades in school and will struggle with healthy relationships and marriages with the opposite sex. Is it any wonder that after the sex and drug revolution of the 60s, we went from the leave-it-to-beaver type homes to what we now see in our culture? Is it any wonder that in the 50s, our biggest problems with kids was chewing gum in class and now it's metal detectors? Is it any wonder what has happened? happened? Why are our streets a mess? Why are the politicians corrupt? Listen to me, parents. You want to send your kids to college. That's great. But listen, if you don't send them there as Christians, they will get messed up here and in here. Why? Because college will not teach them the value of a human life. They will teach them they're nothing more than animals. And when you teach the businessman, he's nothing more than a molecule in motion. He started from the goo through the zoo. Now he's you. He's this animal. He's this creature. How do you think he's going to run his business? How do you think he's going to run his politics? He's going to say the meek are wheat. Uh, he's going to say the meek, the weak, weak are meat. He's going to feed upon them. He's going to be selfish. He's going to be greedy. He's going to be corrupt. Enron is what evolution looks like in the business world. Corruption in politics is what evolution looks like in the business world. If it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, there's no morality. There's no absolute right and wrong. Everybody gets to choose what they do. So my friends, send Christians to college and let them discover the purpose God gave them. Let them not go to college thinking they're going to get their purpose because they won't get it. God gives purpose. And so here's what we need to understand today. We have got to see the family in a crisis. Let's be honest. All of this comes back to the image that God created us in and how far we have come. And now we need to ask God to restore his image. Now let's go back to Genesis. Everybody say this is a second introduction. I am going about 100 words a minute right now. I'm talking so fast. I hope that you guys can keep up because I'm trying really hard, okay? But this is literally the second introduction. I haven't even got to the message yet. Just so you guys don't think that I'm lying to you, this is the message. Look as I scroll. Look as I scroll. It's all the way down. It is all the way down. This is the message today. All of this, all of this, and that. That's the message. I have got to tell you about all of that. Do you get all that? Okay, here we go. Second introduction. Go back to the beginning. I added some red and white here so you guys could see the context. Let me read black first, just the word of God. Let me add into the context so you can get the illustration here. God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Everybody say amen. Okay, now you want to know how deep that was? Let me show you how deep this is. What is happening right before you is God the Father is speaking to the triune nature of God, saying, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make mankind in our three persons sharing one being image, the God nature. Let us make a complex unity. Think about it. God is not three gods. Father God is one. Son God is two. Holy Spirit God, three gods. No, God is one God and three divine persons. Three persons 
share the being of God. There's not three parts of God like a pie. Here's the part of Jesus. Here's the part. No, three separate persons sharing one divine nature. They said, let us make mankind in our image. When he said, let us make mankind in our image, who is he talking to? The angels? Is he talking to the birds he created? We're going to make man part bird, part, part like us? He is talking, the Father is talking to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind in our image. So now if the triune God is three persons sharing one divine being, mankind is going to be three persons sharing one humanity. And when you look at it, you see male and female, male and female. And so right now we understand the idea of sex and identity, sex and identity. You don't have to ask yourself what gender you are. Just look at yourself and you'll know what gender you are. That is God's purpose for your life. The genders complement each other in procreation to then make children. Sexual identity is given to you by your creator. And then sexual procreation is done with one man and one woman. Does everybody get that? Can one, ma can one man and one man make a baby? Can one man uh, and three women make one baby? No. God intended the human race to be multiplied by one man, one woman. That is procreation. The third component of mankind is the child. The child. So you see in the family, man, woman, child, Three persons sharing mankind, the family, humanity. Is everybody tracking with that? God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit sharing divinity. Now, some, believe it or not, will now want to make the comparison and say there's a father in God's nature. There's a father in the human nature. There's a son in human nature. There is a child in, uh, there's a son in the divine nature, a son in the human nature. So that must mean the spirit is synonymous with the woman and the spirit is a feminine spirit. And that's how Jesus was born by the father and the spirit making love and Jesus came out. That is a false teaching. The Holy Spirit is not a feminine spirit. The Holy Spirit is a masculine spirit. The Holy Spirit does not make love with anybody. Like the Mormons teach, they said that God made love with Mary and then Mary had a baby. Or other cults teach that the Father and the Spirit made love and made Jesus. All of that's false. The only reason why three, only reason why there is the correlation between mankind and divinity is because of the three, complex unity. Father, Son, Spirit, man, woman, child. Do you get that? Look at it again. God the Father said, let us, the Trinity, make mankind in our image. Three persons sharing one nature. In our likeness, complex unity. So God the Son, in the beginning was the Word, John 1, 1. Look at this. I need to show you this scripture here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. So here, who is making us? When the Father says, let us, and then God comes down to actually make us, who is the one making us? Jesus. Do you all understand that? Can I... Through him, how many things were made? Okay, was Adam and Eve made by God or made by Martians? Okay, so then who made us? Jesus, Jesus, God the Son. Now look at verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. How did you get life? How did Adam and Eve get life? Whew, he breathed into us. Who's breathing into us? Jesus, right? So Jesus created us male and female. Now, some people falsely teach that because woman was taken out of man's side, that man alone is in the image of God, and that woman is made in the image of man. That is incorrect. 
That is incorrect. And also, see, there's two false beliefs that will send people to hell. One of them is slavery, and that is there are different kinds of races, and that you can enslave races because they are not of the same human race. That is a lie. There's only one race, the human race. Some of the people at the time of the African, Ameri uh, African slave trade taught that the Africans were of animal race so that they could enslave them. They were not of a human race. That is a lie. The Bible says slave traders will go to hell. There's another lie where misogynistic, uh, masculine men wanting to control women will say, you're not made in God's image. You're made in my image. I'm over you. I get to control you. Those people go to hell because the Bible says that man and women were made in the image of God. So God is not into racism, nor is he into sexism. You understand? It's very important because people will try to tell you the church has always taught racism and sexism. But I'm telling you the church has always taught the opposite. So anybody in the name of Christ who claimed Christ and said they were a racist or were a sexist, they were not. They were detestable for any good work. Are you guys with me on that? So what is the Bible teaching us here? The Bible is simply teaching us that the family is actually the example or the manifestation of God's nature. It's complex unity, three in one. And from that place, and I know child can be male or female, there's only two genders, but the child is that third unique person in that family that shows the unity. Does everybody get that? If you don't, ask your life group leaders because they're going over that on Fridays. Okay, now are you guys ready for the message? Okay, let's go to the message. Let's learn God's order for the family. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Here we're now going to see Paul describe what a family should look like. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. And all the men said, come on, men, where are your cojones at? I want to see some real men up in here. Don't let women emasculate you. Men be men. The Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And all the men said, Amen. Men, listen to me. Don't let your wives control you. Don't let them take your little cojones, put it in their purse, and let you decide when they get it back or they decide when they get it back. I'm telling you, I'll sometimes preach like this, and you can, you can I, I say, you know, all the men say amen, uh, amen, and you can almost see uh, the wife look at uh, the husband and say, don't you say that. Don't you say that. Come on, honey, let me say it. The pastor said I could say it. No, we have two problems in our world. We have emasculated men. Men that don't want to stand up and be men of God. They're intimidated. They're letting their wives control their life. And I just had my friend call me up and say his wife has cheated on him. She confessed with one man 16 times, and he's still, he's still trying to ask her what he can do to change. There are emasculated men, and then there are women. There are women who want to take over the leadership position, and they want to be in charge. Now listen to me. Can women and men both do things equally? Absolutely, aside from childbearing or whatever. But listen, in God's kingdom, he gives us roles. So I want you to look at this. When the Father sent Jesus, Jesus said, I do nothing except I see the Father do it. But is there a greater God, Father, over the lesser God, Jesus? Just because Jesus submitted to the Father in his role, that did not change the nature of Jesus. He is equally God as the Father is God. But the Son willingly submits to the Father. Man and woman of the same nature but different roles. Now watch this. To those who abuse their children, the Bible says, listen to what the Bible says. Jesus said this. Now I said this in the first service, and some people looked at me weird, so I'll see how the reaction I get here. 
There, there's a popular saying going around that, you know, the old God of the Old Testament was mean and Jesus in the New Testament is nice and, you know, this is like that. Atheists have totally debunked this for us as Christians, and I thank God they have, because they go, you Christians, you guys don't even read your Bible then. If you think Jesus is walking around nice, you have no idea. Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else. Jesus threatens hell more than anybody else. Jesus talks about it. And then not only that, Jesus says, I'm going to be the one that sends you there. I'm going to come with angels. I'm going to judge you. This world is going to be uh, you know, d- destroyed, and I'll be here as king, and you're going to bow down and worship me. So to the credit of the atheist, we need to take Jesus more serious instead of thinking of him as Barney. Okay, But now watch this. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said to parents, Parents, if you make one of these young people to stumble, it would be better for you to take a millstone, which is a big thousand-pound rock that oxen would would, uh, be attached to to turn to, take grain and and mash it down into bread, into flour. He said it would be better for you, instead of making these children stumble, take a thousand-pound millstone, tie it around your neck, and jump into the sea. That's what Jesus said. So now here, here. racism, sexism, going to hell, child abusism, going to hell. Right? Because that's what Jesus said. So now here's the thing. Is the child of a different nature than the mom and dad? No, they just have a role that they obey. But the child is of the same human nature made in the image of God. So parents, you are teaching and training image bearers of God. You do not have permission to abuse them or treat them any differently than you would treat the president of the United States. You understand that? I walk in the fear of the Lord when it comes to raising my children. If I do have to spank them, I want to spank them for their own sake and for the sake of God. I do not want to do it out of my own stress, out of my own frustration. God will judge me for that. It would be better if I were to put a millstone around my neck. That's the God I serve. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. And all the men said, amen. Half y'all with me. That's okay. For the husband, I got a great marriage, man. And I'm telling you, this is where it comes from. Hope you all get it too. For the husband is the head of the wife. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the Head of the church, it's in the Bible, his body of which he is a savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in in some things, in things that are just nice, in everything. And all the men said, amen. Now listen, husbands, here it's your turn. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. And all the women said, come on, women, and you said, amen. Now keep going. In, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they fed it and cared for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. Everybody say, that's fun. Sex is fun, but it will send you to hell if you do it without Christ and, his be- and in his commands. The Bible says the sexually immoral shall not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? So you have to wait to do it the right way. But the becoming one is beautiful with God. In the mix. Listen to me. You do it without God, you're going to hell. You do it with God through marriage, heaven on earth. And don't anybody try to tell me otherwise. I've had illicit sex. I have had illicit sex. I've had sex before marriage. Don't tell me it's the same thing. When I met my wife, we fell in love. We waited to have sex until marriage. It was the most beautiful thing that I've ever experienced in my entire life. And God created it. God created it. And they will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Here you see the two things summarized. 
The husband loves the wife as Christ loves the church, and the wife submits to her husband as the church submits to Jesus. Now, children, this is your command. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. See, a lot of times I'll talk to parents, and they'll be like, well, I don't know about that submission stuff. I don't know about that. But what do you think about the command, children, obey your parents? Well, I love that one. Tell Junior to listen to me all the time. But here's the problem, Mom. You're unsubmissive. Dad's unsubmissive. You break and rebel against the God, God's commands all the time, and now you want your children to do it right. Listen, they can only follow the example you set. You want them to obey you, Mom, Dad, you obey Jesus. I am so sick and tired of these people holding up signs, no violence, honk for this. Man, nothing will change this world except the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it starts with you. It starts with you, and it starts with me. That's the only thing that changes this world, friend. I didn't go 12 steps. I went one step to Jesus. Our youth pastor is a former gangbanger, got saved in jail, and it was greater than jailhouse religion because it's eight years later, and he's still serving Jesus. Jesus changes lives. You want your children to change. You change in front of them. You live for Jesus and set the example. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with the promise. All y'all thinking I'm old-fashioned, how old-fashioned is that? Hello? And if new fashion sends me to hell, I don't want it. I'd rather live like this. This is the same passage by the same author in the Ten Commandments. You know, put no other God before me. Don't be jealous. Don't do this. No promise. But all of a sudden, honor your father and your mother, and your life will go well with you. God puts an incentive right there in the Ten Commandments. Out of all those commands, this is the commandment that has an incentive. You do it, I will bless you. That's what Paul says here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. And now watch this. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training of the Lord. So how many parents want your children to obey you? Can I hear an amen? And children, how many of you want your parents to be nice to you? Say amen. Amen. Exasperation means to set high standards that are unrealistic and to be abusive in your approach of training. I will be judged if I exasperate my children. I teach them scripture every day. We have rules in our house. But if I put so much pressure on them that it breaks their spirit and makes them cower with fear of man, fear of me not being pleased with them, as if they have to win the game for me to be proud of them, they have to do everything perfect you know, for me to be happy with them, then I am disappointing the Lord because the Lord is not that way with me. You have just seen the entire structure of the family here. And yet I think there was something we all missed. We see husbands, fathers, see wives, mothers, we see children. But what did we see here that we didn't necessarily pay attention to? Let's see how many times we can count this word called the church. Everybody say the church. Let's go back over this, see if you can see how many times it's here. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. That's the first time. Now as the church submits to Christ, that's the second time in everything. So we should submit, so as the church submits to Christ, so the wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Just as Christ loved the church, third time. See, I think we might have missed something here, didn't we, right? To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water, to present her to himself as a radiant church, four times. Wow, you probably don't think there's many more, right? You wouldn't have missed it that much, right? Why? In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body and care for it, just as Christ does the church five times for we are members of his body which is another word of church wow that's six times for this reason a father and mother will be united etc but i'm talking i'm not talking just about sex and, and marriage here i'm talking about christ and the 
church. You mean seven different times in the structure that God gave us for family, he mentioned the church? It's been said of Catholics that they make the church an idol. The pope becomes a false god. The priests become their mediators with their saints. And so they don't see the beauty of Christ alone. And yet it's said that in the Protestant churches, we diminish the power of the church. The pastor's just our buddy. The preaching going forth is just a talk, and he better get done soon because we got to go out and enjoy the weather. And so there's a truth we're missing in the middle, that the church is that which God is building. He said, I will build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. He said the church is the foundation for all truth. He also said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, that we were to obey our leaders in the church because they have authority given to us by God. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their what? Their authority. Everybody say authority. Thank you because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account do that so their work will be a joy and not a burden. So that would be of no benefit to you. So how many here today uh, obey the authority of the police? How many here today obey the authority of the IRS? How many obey the authority of our immigration laws? How many obey the authority of their job and come to work and leave when your boss tells you to? How many of you obey the authority of the house you live in? Do you obey the authority of the church? See, I wonder if part of our problem of losing our sexual identity and not knowing who we are as a culture and the violence and the corruption, I wonder if it came from us not only leaving God and our belief in him, but leaving the place of authority that he put on the earth. Let's see it again. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. How many ever heard that Peter was the first pope? You ever heard that before? Roman Catholics teach that Peter was the first pope. You ask him, where'd the pope come from? I don't ever see this in the Bible. Well, Peter was the first one. Let's see if that's true. Look at Peter. He wrote a book, chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow what? Does he say he's a pope? Does he say to the, little, to the little peons over there, here I am as your holy father? Is that what he said? No, he says to the governmental structure of the church based upon elders and deacons. You confessed it in our time of confession here. He says to those guys, these elders, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, just like you. Remember we learned in 2 Peter, he said, I have faith just like you too, and you have faith just like me. No different. The same faith I had to walk on water is the same faith that's in you. Now in this passage, he says, hey, to the leaders, the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. You want to know what the word shepherd means in the Greek, the original language? Pomone, it actually is where we get our word pastor from. Those of you who are like pastor tacos, the reason why there's a connection of pastor to those tacos is because it's a shepherd's taco. It comes from the language back to the idea of shepherding. The pastor is a shepherd, but the pastor isn't necessarily the office. It's what the elder does. The elder is the one that's in charge of the church. And yet elders shepherd, they pastor. That's another discussion. But look at Peter. He says, I'm an elder just like you guys. Let me give you advice. Shepherd, pastor God's flock that's under your care. Watch over them. Watch over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And all the people said, you don't want me doing it because I have to, do you? You don't want us serving you because we get paid to, do you? And you don't want us to do it because we want to lord it over you and say, look at all the people. I get to control like little puppets. 
No, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Oh, okay, I get that. And when the chief shepherd appears, the chief pastor, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. When Jesus appears, the chief shepherd, you'll receive a crown of what? Glory that will never fade. So I got my command from Peter, one of the first pastors, one of the first elders. He told me, he said, Joe, I'm telling you this, take care of God's sheep. Don't do it because you have to. Don't do it because they give you money. And don't do it because you like the power. Do it because you want to serve them and love them and watch over them, knowing that you'll be judged by your shepherd when he comes. And all the people said, and then it says, in the same way now, in the same way I just got my command as an elder, in the same way you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders. So just because an elder makes a mistake, does that mean we stop submitting to all the elders? If one McDonald's is bad, do you stop going to all the McDonald's? No. If one taco is bad, do you stop being the taco? If one pizza is bad, do you stop being the pizza? If one shoe isn't good, do you stop buying Nike? No. You find the one that fits, the one that works. And here, younger, it's not just like young in age. The context here is young in the faith. An elder doesn't mean older in age. There are people, a part of my congregation in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and yet I am older because I've been serving God longer and more trained and equipped. So you who are new in your faith, submit to your elders, to your leaders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Because there's going to be people who say, I don't like the church. There's going to be people who say, I don't like that pastor. No pastor just take everybody's money. Never mind all the money that I give to the Cubs, and they don't even care about me, but I call them my team, and they won't even let me in the doors unless I pay them $30, but the pastor let me come for free and just takes up a free will offering. But never mind that, because they're all just greedy. Never mind that. Oh, you don't like the church? Oh, well, let me just tell you what God says about those who don't want to humble themselves to their elders. God opposes the proud. Puts out his hand and says, stop. You go no further. Oh, but I got so many good things in my life. I, I, I don't go to church, and I, I'm happy. I'm like Oprah Winfrey. I don't go. I got money. I got Stedman. I got, no, no, you don't have the most important thing. What you don't have is the favor of God. God never said blessings were cars, money, land, cows. The blessing is the favor of God. And the ones he makes rich, he adds no trouble to it. Those who are not made rich by God, more money, more problems. Why is in our culture broken families, broken homes, and now broken minds, more depressed, more schizophrenic, more of these things than we've ever had? Why? Because we don't have the favor of God. Now, I'm not saying everybody dealing with a mental issue is a rebellious sinner. Sometimes Christians deal with that, but listen to the point here. The favor of God blesses your life in such a way that makes your soul healed. So God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So how should we look at God's order in the family? If we want to bless family, we need God. We need his church. We need the husband to be who God called him to be and the wife to be who she's called to be and the children to obey. Take a look at that. Somebody might say, well, pastor, all I need is God. I don't need the church. How'd you get your Bible? Did you write it? How did that get handed down a few thousand years before you got on this planet? The church. Oh, you, you know it by heart? You read it in Greek and Hebrew? You know the context of it? 
Oh, well, no, I'll go to Wikipedia. It will tell me. You'll know how to live by it, by Wikipedia? Oh, yeah, you need examples, don't you? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He didn't say, I'll build your family. He didn't say, I'll build your job. He didn't say, I'll build your 401K. He said, I'll build the church. As much as your family is in the church is as much as your family will be blessed by God. Now, when I say church, I don't mean little C church of MPI, the brick mortar you're in today. I'm talking about the big C church we just learned about from Ephesians that transcends all countries, all locations, all generations, where Christ gives it the two highest honors he could ever give anything. He says, the church is my body. The church is my bride. Joe, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. That's like you saying to me, Joe, I love you, but I hate Nancy. Hate her. How close do you think we're going to be? Hello? How close do you think we're going to be? Joe, I love you. I hate your body. How much do you think we're going to hang out? You're weird, right? We're all weird in that way. But watch. Think about this. The church is us living for God. No big eyes, little U's, no popes and poppers. The church is a group of people that are taking the traditions of Christ handed down throughout the centuries and are living it out. And among this congregation here and other local congregations are those who are known as elders and deacons who have followed the order of the church in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and have lived in such a way to have these positions. And the Bible says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. Anthony, you want to be an elder? That's awesome. You can be one. The church needs all the leaders it, it, it can have. But here's what you have to do. Be above reproach. Be faithful to your wife. Be temperate, self-controlled, so on and so forth. Are we tired of hypocrites behind the pulpit holding the mics yelling at us all the time? Isn't it about time we start living about what we preach? And so we don't throw out the church. We just be the church God wants us to be. And so I apologize to anyone here who's been let down by the church, who's been bamboozled by the church, or who may think the church is not important. I want to remind you today, the church is the pillar of truth. The church is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. It is the leadership of God upon this earth. And can I give you another little nuggy? This is a taste of heaven right now. The society we form, the culture we form here is a taste of what comes. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What is the kingdom coming like? Is it like what's on the streets right now? Is it like what's in the clubs right now? Is it like what's on TV right now and in the movies? If you were to point to one place right now where the kingdom is like, what the kingdom is like, where it's most like, where would you point? The church. And what makes up the church? Families. Some of us have come from broken families, but God heals broken hearts, doesn't he? Some of us have been deeply hurt by people who are supposed to love and trust us. Do we throw away the family? No. We build back the family. I remember burying mom and dad of one of my young people. Both parents OD'd at different times on drugs. You want to talk about being at a, a sad funeral. She got perfect attendance in high school. She couch surfed from one cousin to aunt to aunt to cousin, and she got perfect attendance. She went to Bible college, became a social worker, and is now happily married. She's rebuilding her family. The legacy now lives through her. My sister died drinking and driving, left two children. One was on his own with his father. The other one was given to adoption to a Christian family. My parents were too old and said, we will not do right by this adoption at this point. 
but we will find a Christian family that we know and trust and we'll work the process of adoption with them. That young man has been brought up in the church, brought up knowing God. And even though the sad part is my sister, his mom is no longer here, he's not an alcoholic like my sister was. Hello. The church is with the family. The family is with the church. Why are we so confused right now over our gender identity? Because we've lost what the church teaches. We don't take the authority of the church anymore. We don't take the word of God that's been handed down to us serious anymore. And now we're confused over our identity. We're confused over our sexuality. We're confused over the purpose of life, etc., and so on. And so it's time that we know our roles. Amen? Now let me make it practical. Four sins destroy the marriage. Cohabitation, that's living together without being married. Same-sex marriage, which is not marriage. It's really a mirage. If I call myself a dog, does that make me a dog? Can two men make a marriage? Marriage can only be with opposite sex. Sexual perversion will destroy the marriage. Adultery or pornography and no-fault divorce. Just, ah, I'm done with you. want to trade you in for a better model. The, biblic- the Bible only gives three reasons for a, a, a divorce. Abuse, adultery, and abandonment. Hebrews 13.4 says it like this. Marriage should be honored by who? All. How many people should honor marriage? All. Should homosexuals honor marriage? Should lesbian honors marriage? Yes, all should honor marriage. Can a lesbian get married? Yes, to a man. To a man. There are many that are tempted with lesbian beliefs. That doesn't mean they have to live that way. I'm tempted with multiple sex beliefs, and I don't have to live that way. You were born a sinner, so was I, but I was born again a saint. So do homosexuals need to honor marriage? Yes. Do lesbians need to honor marriage? Does Lady Gaga need to honor marriage? Do polygamists need to honor marriage? Do you need to honor marriage? Does the senator need to honor marriage? Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Think of it like this. Husband, wife, the greatest sin against them is that adultery, sex with someone else, right? Then everything else is summarized in sexual immorality. Homosexuality is a perversion of the original version. It's immoral. Multiple women with one man, polygamy uh, is wrong polyamory, wrong. All of these are wrong. So God will judge the one who breaks the commitment to their marriage, and God will judge the sexually immoral. There's no way around this. You either have marriage or you stay celibate. That's it. Do you understand? Amen? How many love God's word? I didn't write that. The judge wrote that. Everybody's like, don't you judge me. Well, here's the thing. I'm not the judge. I'm just telling you what the judge said. Well, only God can judge me. Whoa, you don't know how scary that is. You want to get ready for the judgment and not deal with it then. You want to get ready now. He's given you a book to tell you what's coming later. Amen? Here's the practical roles right now, uh, the practical advice for the, the husbands and wives, different roles. Here we go. Husbands, from that passage, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Everybody say amen. Give yourself up for her. So here's how we do it, husbands. If we're ever going to ask our wives to submit to our authority, we show them we love them like Jesus and give up everything for them. We win them over with our kindness. Women, don't marry a bozo or no one you can't trust with authority. Marry the one that will give up everything for you, and you will gladly submit to his authority. Amen? There's a difference. There's a difference. Well, I mean, I got to submit to this guy. Well, that was your fault. You married this guy. Now we got to pray for his salvation. Support and take care of your wife. I believe in husbands and wives working together. The Bible says in the, the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit comes on women and men the same. And so if the work of the church can be done the same, pastoring, leading, caring, and all of that by men and women the same, then, of course, things in the world can be done the same, okay? 
But the primary role, because at one point, the, ch the woman's going to have a baby, and she can't work like she used to. So the man needs to ensure that his family can be supported when my wife is pregnant. I don't care if you're a bodybuilding wife, like I saw on this YouTube video, that is bodybuilding till you have the baby. There's going to come a point where you can't do that anymore. And you know, and let me just talk to ladies up here. This was made for childbearing, not for showing off, making men lust, right? This was made, the body was made for childbearing. How many know those are what men, uh, I mean, men that's what children get their, their milk from, right? But we've made mothers into sexual objects, and we've taken away the purpose of being a mother. To me, the mother is the greatest purpose in the earth, for a woman and the man to be a father, amen? I still believe in that. Now, can you be anything else? Yes, but a, a president is less than a mother, or less than a father. My greatest role I'll ever do in this world is a father. The greatest role a woman will ever do is a mother. Be united to your wife in everything. Take care of her. Uh, the Bible says that the man who loves his wife loves himself. You look at an adultering, uh, uh, cheating man, he actually hates himself. He's not living a good life. He's actually destroying his soul. And that's a whole other discussion of why the people right now my age who are not married and who are going from couch to couch, you know, being from lover to lover, why they're so depressed, why they're all messed up. The reason my friends are like this right now that I used to grow up with and they still haven't settled down is because the soul is healed in marriage. It's destroyed in sex without marriage. It's literally like joining yourself to someone like um, with glue and then ripping it apart every time. You're just leaving parts of yourself in them. Your, your, your soul connecting, but your soul destroying. Be married and have sex only with one person. Amen? And if you're like, well, I'm not a virgin anymore, Pastor. Neither was I. Get born again a virgin. I'm telling you, before I came to Jesus, I was a pervert. No doubt about it. That's who I was. I had sex in my backyard when my parents were home, okay? I had sex in the church parking lot. I was a crazy church kid, not to brag. I'm ashamed of it. That's how bad it was. But listen to me. When I came to Jesus Christ, the Lord said, son, you ain't even close to ready to date for a long time. And I didn't get to date for like three years. I was just loving Jesus, doing my own thing. And when I dated for the first time and I just held a girl's hand, whoo! I could feel it. I felt like I was in junior high again. And my wife will tell you, I tried to kiss her on the first date, and she was like, no. And I'm like, I want it so bad. <laughs> Just kiss me. <laughs> I think I finally got her to kiss me on the second date. I'll tell you what, man, I was like a junior high kid because you know what? It became pure again. My heart got healed again. God can restore you again. Amen? Wives, I hate to say it. But it is true. The Bible says it. Here's the two things that Paul said to do. Submit to your husbands as to the church, as, Christ, uh, as the church submits to Jesus, and submit to your husbands and everything. So as a husband that has a submitting spouse, you know what I do? I take that very serious. And I say, you know what? If I have the card that says it's my way, we're making that final decision, I want to make sure that I've heard her heart, that I've loved her as Jesus loves the church, that I've done it not out of selfishness, and that when I put down the husband card, she can follow me and trust me. 11 years of marriage, my wife and I have never fought over that. You can believe me or not believe me. Some of you are like, when well, you ain't married to who I'm married to. Once again, that's not my problem. That's your fault you married a jerk. That's your fault that you married a sassy sister. Listen to me, right? Can it work? It does when you work it. The word will work for you when you work it. Work the word and it will work for you. Carry the word and it will carry you. Amen? Okay, here we go. Biblical role of fathers. we got Father's Day coming up next week, so I won't preach on this a long time. But basically, fathers, like all the notes are there for your review. Uh, the basic understanding is that fathers are going to love God, love their family, be in charge of stuff, and make sure things are done right. And they want to lead by example. The greatest thing my father ever did for me is teach me how to be a man of God. 
Other than that, yes, I learned how to play baseball. Yes, I learned how to balance my checkbook. He taught me how to be a man of God. Role for mother, same thing, love, nurture. Proverbs 31 is a role, is the definition of uh, the mother's role. Everybody like that proverb? Anybody read it before? I have all 21 attributes here for you, 22 rather. Can I go through it real quick just to bless the women here? Verse by word, verse, here they are. A Proverbs 31 woman is valuable, trustworthy, hardworking, selective, shrewd, a provider, savvy, strong, diligent, multitasker, com- confident, um, compassionate, confident, beautiful, respected, prosperous, dignified, wise, involved, blessed in her family, overachiever, God-fearing, and honored. Amen. And guess what? Women, don't be intimidated because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're supposed to use that scripture to be a Proverbs 31 woman, not to get a good deal at Target. Right? Oh, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Help me get this credit card, Jesus. No, you're supposed to use that scripture to be the woman God called you to be. Amen? And the children, what's your role? Just listen to your parents. Amen? Love God. Honor your family. Listen, I got a lot of young people in this church. You would think me preaching like this, I would have no young people. Look around. Look at all the young people. Why do you think I have a church like this and old people get mad at me? Because old people have already decided to be in their sin and rebellion. A lot of the young people are new to this church, and they're saying, I'll give it a shot. But here's the deal. You don't disrespect your parents. Other than sin, you say, yes, Mom, yes, Dad. That's it. If they say, sell the drugs, no, Dad, can't do it. No, Mom, can't do it. Go out there and pimp these girls for me. No, Mom, no, Dad, can't do it. Steal this thing, kill this person. No, Mom, no, Dad, can't do it. Other than that, yes, Mom, yes, Dad. Clean your room. Yes, Mom, yes, Dad. You want your parents to get saved, live like a Christian. Live like a Christian. Show them what Christ has done in your life. They're making a point where you talk to them and you say, Mom, you know, you raised me Catholic. This is what the Bible says. And they may say, I don't agree with it. Arguing is not God's will. Just say, Mom, I'll pray for you. I just, just wanted to let you know this is what I was doing in church. This is how I see the scriptures now. That's it. Arguing with them is not God's will. Yes, Mom. No, Mom. Obey them. Do well in school. Be committed to your church. You have more free time. Young people should give their time to church more than anybody else. Obey his commands. Choose good friends. Don't have sex until marriage. All of these things I gave you guys. And wait for your spouse. You need a book. It's free in the back for you today. Any young person wants the book, date like a Christian. I'll give it to you for free, and it's always free online. Here's some practical advice. If you're single without kids, make some noise right now. You're single without kids. Yay! Love God, wait for the right person, be patient, live holy. If you're still at home, obey your parents, work hard. What should you avoid? Feeling sorry for yourself, living in sin, and wasting time. Ladies, don't give yourself to just some dude that, you know, winks his eye at you. Make sure he's a man of God. Women, uh, men, don't just go for any girl that just says, oh, I'll be there for you the rest of your life. No, let's see if she's a real woman of God. Test and see their spirit and see who they are. Anybody single with kids today? Single moms? Single dads? Okay, come on. Don't be ashamed. We love our single parents here. Why? Because you're saying I'm going to do it God's way. My mom was a single mom for three years until she got her man who became my dad. And I'm so happy she loved Jesus. She was working as a waitress. She had been a part of an abusive marriage, had three kids, had to leave him because he was a drunkard and an abuser. She's waitressing. My dad comes in. He's on a business thing, he, uh, business lunch. He sees, you know, my mom, how beautiful she is. And he's like asking her out. And she goes, well, I'll only go out with you if you go to church with me, you know. And so they began to go to church together. She trusted him, got into a relationship with him. And I am the love child of that relationship. So I'm my dad's only child, but I have three half brothers and sisters. So single 
Here's the deal. Love God and don't put anything above your kids, right? Don't introduce anybody into your family's life until you know it's ready for their benefit. This is a sad statistic, but many times the boyfriends that you let into the house will have more of a chance of abusing your kids than being a help. Keep them out of the house. Do it God's way. Amen? And the same thing with men. Just be careful about who you bring into their, their, their life. And then find that right person. If you still are single wanting to mingle, God's got somebody for you. You ain't spoiled goods. God has somebody for you. Okay? And don't be overwhelmed, depressed, or bitter. Forgive, forgive, forgive. You may not always... Um, Agree how people have treated you, and you don't have to, but you need to forgive them to move on because you don't want to bring bitterness into that relationship because a broken heart will not get healed by someone else. Broken hearts are healed by Jesus. I know we know that, right? You try to let someone else see your heart, it will never work. Married without kids. Anybody here married without kids? Nobody? Okay. Well, if you're married without kids, sex is a hobby. It's what you do for recreation. You don't have anything to worry about. You know what I'm saying? Well, here's the deal. Use your time and money and resources to have fun. But remember, it's all about the kingdom still. Save up your money. Prepare the way for your family. And here's what you want to avoid, planning a family your way. When I wanted to start having kids is when I had a house, this, this, and this. And I remember meeting with a missionary, and they said, Joe, those things are worldly things. Start having kids God's way, and God will provide for your kids. I'm on number five, and God has provided all this time. Why? Because I just stopped thinking the world's way. Right now, you know what people want to do? They want to wait till they're 50 with two college degrees, three careers, and live together for 10 years before they want to have a kid. Stop that. Do it God's way. Amen? And don't be selfish. Share your wealth, your friendship with others because you guys have time. So a lot of these married couples, they have time and resources to give. Share it with others. And then married with kids. Anybody married with kids here? Amen. Got some married couples here. Thank you for your patience. Kids are waiting for you in the back. Everybody else is okay, but no, I'm kidding. But watch this. What do you do? You love God in your marriage by raising each other, uh, raising the children in church and serving each other and being shrewd about how you spend your money, being wise about the future. Go to the marriage life group. Learn more. Build your marriage. Love is something you can fall out of, so you have to continue to build your love, build your marriage, build your future. What should we avoid? The worries of life, being too busy, letting marriage, uh, uh, letting marriage suffer and losing our, uh, letting your marriage suffer and lose Christian influence. Let me just say this quickly. Many times I meet godly Christian families, and they're like, I'm so busy because i got to take Johnny to the soccer practice. He's going to be a professional soccer player. And it's like, no, he's not. No, Johnny is not. If Johnny's going to be a professional soccer player, he doesn't need all of this. He's talented. He's gifted. But people just idolize their kids' sports and all of this, and they say, see, Jesus understands. I remember being with the family on their boat one day, and, they, and I said, you know, they said they were Christians. And I was like, what church do you go to? And they just pointed to the great outdoors, and they're like, this is our church on Sunday. And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? And they're like, no, my pastor understands that during the summer, we just come out here on the boat and worship Jesus. And I'm like, you are a backslidden Christian. If I was your pastor, I would tell you might be busting hell wide open. God is not okay with you coming out here saying, this is my family. We're having church out here today, Pastor. That's, could you imagine saying that to Jesus? Jesus is like, come follow me. Put your hand in the plow and come help me preach the gospel. And you're like, no, Jesus, I'm going to go with my family to Lake Galilee today, and we're just going to hang out, and that's going to be church for us because this church is everywhere. It's spiritual. Jesus is always in my heart. Jesus is going to be like, I ain't in your heart. I'm right here, and I want you where I go. Some of y'all haven't even read the Bible. Have you ever read that in the Bible? How many have ever read in the Bible that if you don't hate your mother, brother, sister, and all of those different things, you can't be a disciple? Have you ever read that? How many want me to go longer to show you that? 
If you do not hate, <laughs> if you do not hate, there you go. Come on, if you do not hate your mother, brother, sister, look at this. Luke chapter 14. Somebody say it's tight, but it's right. Look at this right here. Look at what Jesus said. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So let me just talk to the parents here real quick. I know that you love your family, and you think church is going to be on the boat, but don't believe that lie. Make church where church is at. Church is where God's people are joined together. Now, if somehow, some way, everybody said we're going to meet on a boat, that's between you and that church. I can just tell you that's not going to happen here, okay? We're going to meet in a place where we can all fit. We're going to bring our kids, and we're going to listen to the Word of God for at least what you watch a movie for, okay? We're going to give you the Word of God like you want to watch the Cubs, okay? We're going to give it to you that same exact way. So if you want an hour and 15-minute service, come to me. I'll give you four brochures to churches that are spirit light, and they'll do just what you want, okay? But if you want to be changed and you want to hear the Word of God, let's give it what our college students give to know their classes. A college class is three hours twice a week, one hour and a half each, each class, right? Lectures. Are you an adult or are you a child? Come on, somebody. I got children's ministry back there with puppets and candy. I mean, you can hear the Word of God, right? Well, here it is, married couples. We got to show our family that God's number one. Show your children how much you love God. Can I just summarize this whole thing? Do I have, is Rachel here? No, she's not. Can, is, is Jerry here? Can you get Jerry, please? Thank you. Here's two things to remember in closing. I do appreciate your patience. I hope that I'm not long-winded, boring you with silly things. If you've noticed, I, fl I flew through a lot of information. Does anybody here want to bless family? Let me just say this before I close, because some of you might be annoyed. He went so long. Thank you. Thank you. Cause, thank you, because I just want to know this. Did, did they teach you this in school? Did they teach you this in high school? How about that college class you paid $1,000 of credit for? Did they teach you this? How about your best friend? Did he tell you about this in the locker room or wherever you guys hang out? Come on. Come on. You get this at church, don't you? See the importance of church? Where did I learn it? I learned it at church. I learned it through the men and women of God who wrote books long before I was ever born. I learned it through the places that I was in Bible college. You know, the Bible college was an institution, but there was a man of God there, an elder, who took me under his wing. I learned it in this place as we started to develop new elders, new deacons. Now we have 41 elders and deacons. Isn't that amazing? Over 150 disciples in this church, averaging over 200 people, and 80% of our people are in discipleship, and almost 100% go to our life groups. Why? Because the church is being built. Now I want you to think about this. How do you live it out every day? There's so many things I went through. Just think about this. You're going to invite God into your family every single day to build you, to encourage you. So let's say you're single. Get in the habit of asking Jesus into your life every day, whether you're a single parent or just a single adult. Just every day, just, Lord, I want to live this day for you. I want to honor you with my sexuality. God, I want to wait for that right person to come. Okay, I mean, that's what the single saying. The married person, maybe you just grab your wife's hand before you go to commute, to work, whatever. Honey, I just want to pray for you. Let's have a great day. Let's give it to Jesus. Let's be successful in what we do, right? Maybe you're married with your kids. You bring them together. You just say, kids, I'm going to go to work. I love you. You're going to school. Let's pray. 
My mother would pray for me every day as I went out for school, every single day. You just invite God into your family. And then the second thing is, is you put God first and his commands first. It's so simple. Whenever you're faced with a decision, you just think about God and his commands. So you're single and this person wants to date you, think about God. Talk to him and look at his commands. First of all, the Bible says don't date a non-believer. So you ask them, are you saved? And if they say you're not saved, go come to my church then, right? I can't date you. That's not even an option. Amen? And then, and then you just go through the commands, you know, like God said we're going to be pure. Are you cool with being pure? That's why I got a whole book, Date Like a Christian. Are you good with going to church with me because I'm going to go to church? Are you good with us giving 10% of our finances to this and that? You see, when they serve God, they're going to serve you. When they love God, they're going to love you. If you can't trust them in their relationship with God, how are you going to trust them in their relationship with you? If they're cheating and robbing and disobeying God, don't you think they're going to do the same thing with you? So every day, just God, be, be a part of my life, and then, Lord, show me your ways. Show me your ways. Nancy, would you, um, Ricky, would you get my family, please? I want to close out with them coming up. How many want to make, uh, how many want to ask God to make your family reflect his glory and not settling for anything less but God's best? Can I tell you that too often I have to do marriages and divorces? I mean, uh, too often I have to do uh, marriage uh, divorces that end Marriages that end in divorces. Some of the people I've already married are divorced is what I'm trying to say. I've had to go through both sides with the same people. And here's the thing. When you're doing the wedding, like everybody is there, everybody is excited. It's like, oh, my gosh, look at this. This is so amazing, so beautiful. But when the divorce happens, everybody's alone. You can barely get the husband and wife together. Can you, you know what, could you just hold on just for a second? I really appreciate you. Thank you. But think about this. Marriages are public. Divorces are private. So here's the thing I want to share real quick is that most of you have never seen a divorce unless you've been through one. But I've seen many, many, many divorces. Like the average person, maybe two or three. But if you're a pastor, you've seen hundreds. Many, 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 many. Right now I'm going through two in our church or related to it. One's not in our church, but I'm a pastor of him. He's in another city. And then one in our church. So devastating, so broken, so hurting. Here's another thing I want you to think about real quick. You know how many times I've done altar calls and have had people confess sexual abuse, physical abuse to me? There was a time in our youth group where two girls confessed sexual abuse from an uncle that still lived in their house. And I had to get to keep the light on just so I can see them, please. And I had to get, I had to get the police involved. Can you imagine that? After a Friday youth group, meeting the police at a teenager's house. There were two sisters at the house and getting the uncle arrested and then going with them to the hospital, right? And then let me just say this. I have counseled. I can't even count how many single, just dating relationship that broke their people's heart, broke their heart in a million different pieces, Oh, I trusted this person we were dating, but then I caught him with this person. And we were dating, but then they did this, and then they did this, and they treated me like this. They beat me up like this. I just, I can't even tell you how many. But I want you to see something. Kids, would you come up here with your mom? Come on up here. Come on. This is Bethany. She's seven. Hannah is six. Zoe is two. And Lucas is four. And this is little Joy right in here. Do you love Jesus? <laughs> Do you guys want to see John say John 3:16 for everybody? 
Where does Jesus live? In our hearts. What did he do for you? On the cross. Is he coming back again? Yeah. And what's he going to do when he comes back again? Roar like a lion. Roar like a lion. <laughs> do you love Jesus? Yes, I do. I've seen so much hurt and pain. And I was talking to the Lord one day, and I said, God, how does it not happen here? How does divorce not happen here? How does abuse not happen here? How, how does this make it in a world where people don't even know what bathroom to use? How does this family make it to the other side, to the valley of the shadow of death? And the Lord said this to me. He said, Joe, you pray, because I was praying. Make time to pray every day, right? Putting God first and all that. God said, you do that, and I'll take care of the rest. You keep training them up. Oops. You keep training them up. And the Lord literally told me, I will put a hedge of protection around them. At the end of the day, they're going to make their own decisions. If my children want to go to hell, I'm still going to heaven. But here is my thing. I'm going to do everything I can that these children make it to heaven with me. I'm going to teach them about Jesus. I'm going to show them how valuable they are. How much does daddy love you? A lot. How much does Jesus love you? A lot. That's right. Are you going to get baptized next week? Mm-hmm. You're going to get baptized. I want to get closer to Jesus. Look at that. I'm going to do everything I can for this family. And this is what I'm going to ask you parents to do. I'm going to ask in just a few moments if you want me to pray for your family to get them to come to the front because we're going to pray for families today. And we're going to believe God that our families are going to make it in this world. We're going to love them. We're going to honor them. I don't ever, you see them saying their scriptures, I don't ever want to exasperate them. Just a few moments ago, uh, in the first service, they came up for the same illustration. And Lucas looked at me and he goes, am I going to get the Holy Ghost? And I thought that was a good thing. So I go, yeah, we're going to get the Holy Ghost. And he just started crying. And, and, and then Nancy goes, well, he thinks that means you're going to water baptize him. But here's the thing. He don't have to get water baptized until he wants to. She came to me and said she wanted to get baptized. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. You want to get baptized. Do you want to sing one of your songs for him? No, See, I can't make you do it, but you love to sing around the house. Do you love Jesus, Hannah? Zoe, do you want to sing a song? Which one do you want to sing? God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's roaring like a lion. (laughs) Now she's done. Let's all stand up, please. Father, Jerry, thank you. Would you please play? Thank you. Father, we come to you before we leave here today one last time, and we ask you to bless our families. We ask you to change our lives. If you're with your family or loved one right now, would you just hold their hand right now and just... Just pray for them. Pray that they'll be who God called them to be. Altar workers, would you come? I'll tell you what, Jerry, I'm going to want you to get your family too. So would you guys put on one of the songs in our back library there? and Just hold somebody you love and just pray for them. You may say, Pastor, I don't really know how to pray. Well, just pray, Lord, 
May they be what you call them to be. May they do what you've asked them to do. If you're holding your wife's hand, husbands, come on, just pray. Say, Lord, I ask that my wife will be the wife you called her to be. She's a mother. She'll be the mother you want her to be. It's not a library. Come on, pray. I preached enough now, right? It's time for you to pray. Pray for your family. In just a few moments, we're going to dismiss to get some of your kids up here. But I want to just pray for you right now before we, uh, we pray for families that may have children in the back. Will you right now be serious about God? Do you need to repent of something in your life that hasn't been right? You guys can go down there. Thank you. Just repent. If you haven't been the kind of husband you're supposed to be, repent. Do you know that I have done more for marriages at services like this than we've ever done in marriage counseling? I'm telling you the honest truth. I have tried to marriage counsel people time and time again, and they won't listen. I mean, you just heard me preach for an hour and 15 minutes. I will talk nonstop for an hour and a half directly to somebody in their problem, make no difference. But at an altar like this, a time of prayer like this, literally somebody's life will change. Why? Because it's God. You don't need more information. You need an impartation of God's love and power in your life. Not more information, but impartation. You need an experience with God. A few more moments. Just pray right now. The Vivid's got their child up here. We're going to dismiss some of the others to get their children. But please, let me just close out before we do that with prayer, with everybody on their own. Prayer is how we communicate our heart to God. It shows that He's bigger, He's stronger, and we're trusting Him. Lord, I pray for singles right now. I pray that they'll, uh, they'll remain holy and live out the life that you've told them to live as a single until that person comes, God. But let them not be broken when they come. Let them not be 50-50 with them. Let them be 100-100 and healed, Lord. So whatever time is now in the waiting, while they're single for a reason and single for a season, Lord, heal hearts. Restore. Teach. Build foundations in our singles. Lord, for our married couples that don't have children, would you bless them? May they enjoy the life that they have right now. And may they be careful to start the family when it's your time. Let them not just look at the checkbook or the size of their house. Most of our grandparents grew up on a farmhouse or a rural community with many, many kids, and they were happier than many of us are now. So, Lord, we know technology and money is not the source of a happy family. Otherwise, every rich, technologically advanced person would be happy. And yet, those are the ones oftentimes jumping off bridges. Lord, we need you in our families. And now, Lord, I pray for the husband and wife family. Lord, I pray today that you'll encourage them, that you will use them in their culture to make a difference, that their children will be protected, whether they send them to school or do homeschool. But, Lord, their children will be blessed. They'll be protected from the the sin of this world. You'll raise them strong, and they'll be examples. They'll be examples of light in the midst of darkness. Just a few more moments. A few more moments. Pray. Pray for your family. You're doing me no favor right now. You're doing this for your sake. You're doing it because you love God. You believe his word. You believe he's true. Jesus.
Can I tell you an amazing story in closing here? There was a small Pentecostal church in Canada, maybe even smaller than ours. A guy was drunk. He was walking by, got invited in. He came in. He gave his life to the Lord. He got married. He had children. And he raised his child in the church. That child is Jim Peterson. He is now the fifth richest person in Canada. He's worth $7 billion. Do you know what he does with his money? He builds Pentecostal elementary schools, and he says that to be in the school, you have to have 80% Pentecostals here. Because he saw his dad in a Pentecostal church like this get so radically impacted. Do you know when we're praying for our children, being a billionaire could be an option for God? At the same time, there's countless stories of our children living as missionaries, living as teachers, living as so, so many other things. And so the question is, will we believe God for great things for their life, whether it's to become a billionaire or whether it's to become a Sunday school teacher or a business person or a massage therapist, right? Are your parents proud of you? Yeah. Parents proud of you? Yes. This guy right here is a massage therapist, one of my favorites right here. If you ever need a touch of heaven, this is your man right here. See, it's not the amount of money we have in the bank account, but the amount of Jesus we have in our hearts, right? Tony, would you pray for us before we go? And then I'm going to ask that anybody here that has family to come and let us pray for you. If it's just husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, that's okay. Or if you have kids in the back, go get them after we pray and let us pray for you today. Amen. And Tony, would you bless them? Father God, thank you, Lord, for... Uh, just this word, Lord God, and, and Lord God, everything that you represent, Lord God, and everything that you want families to be, Lord. I just pray, Lord God, that uh, uh, for those, Lord God, who have families, Lord God, that you would just begin to open their eyes, Lord God, and reveal to them uh, things, Lord God, that they need to work on, Lord God. If their marriages are suffering, Lord God, that you would work in them, Lord God. If if they're, Lord God, being neglected parents, Lord God, that you would that you would guide them and lead them, Lord God. Lead their children, lead their, their families, Lord God. Let the husbands, Lord God, be leaders in their household, Lord God. Oh, Lord Jesus, and the wives, Lord God, be able to care and nurture for their children, Lord. God, we just thank you, Lord God. We, we pr uh, just pray for every uh, family that's here, Lord God, every married couple, Lord God, that has uh, children or without children, Lord God. I just pray, Lord God, that they would now, Lord God, if they haven't already, make you, Lord God, the center, Lord God, of their, of their relationship, Lord God, and with each other and with you, Lord Jesus. God, thank you, Lord God. Thank you for just uh, making yourself real, Lord God, to us today, Lord God. And I pray for everyone here, Lord God, that this word would just resonate in their hearts, Lord God, and that you would bless them, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you at Life Groups. And if you want prayer, please come forward. Let us pray for you and enjoy the worship time for the after party. Have a great week.